BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Cool Zone Media. Ah, welcome back to Behind the Bastards, a podcast about the worst people in all of history that also hosts the eternal unending battle between a man and his producer who wants him to send in the scripts of the episodes that they're reading. As usual, I'm winning this battle and to celebrate my triumph. I have the script. Not the latest script. To celebrate my triumph. Matt Lieb. Your child. Northrop Grumman got me Northrop coming. That's right. Coming in my face. What's up? That's right. That's right. We are advertising for drone delivered sex toys. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The same technology that takes out school buses in Yemen. Wait, wait, wait. Can make you say, yeah, man. What? Do you have your soundboard, Matt? Uh, Do I have my soundboard? I think you know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> this like, week, uh, my soundboard is is all just different uh, weird noises that Snoop makes on the wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, I'm so amazing. I, I feel so much joy. Uh huh. Yeah. Speaking of joy, we have a special Oregon themed behind the bastards for you. Uh, all as right. you as you're probably aware, my adopted home state is one of one of the USA's great cultural hubs for cult activity. And we are talking about an Oregon, a classic Oregon cult today. Um, And part of what we're doing here is we are raising money for the Portland Children's Museum. Um, Yeah, yeah. There used to be like a Portland Children's Museum with like a in a building and stuff that had to close down in 2021. I think it was a pandemic casualty. But a group of parents in the metropolitan area have created a traveling children's museum, uh, the FLIP Museum, which stands for Fun Learning Inspiration Play. It's a nonprofit. It goes around to different communities in in the Portland area and provides kids there with like a, you know, head visits them sort of uh, children's museum experience. So we are helping them fund that this week. If you want to donate, they've set it up so that you can just text bastards to 50155. 
So if you text <laughs> bastards to 50155, you'll get the information you need to donate to help the Flip Portland's Children Museum. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I also love that in order to donate, you have to write the word bastards to mm-hmm. the Children's Museum. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It would be. It is funny. It is funny. Although no one, no one still uses the term bastard to hey, me. Hey, bastards. I love <laughs> yeah. children. You, you want to help some literal we bastards? These little bastards get Text an education. Bastards to 50155. <laughs> <laughs> Text living in sin to 50155. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck wedlock. <laughs> That's right. Now, Matt, mm. how do you feel about sex cults? Oh, love them. Pro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be in one. I got really close to being in that one in San Francisco. Oh, uh, man. The one? one? The one taste thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was oh, like the man. orgasmic meditation one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I uh, love. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, man. I was so close. I had a meeting with mm-hmm. uh, like one of the ladies who like was recruiting Mm-hmm. Um, and I just spent the whole meeting being like, I don't have any money, but can I just go and watch? Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> and they, uh, they said, no, she, she started asking me to have, she's like, it was like a hundred dollars too. It really was not that much money, but I was very <laughs> poor at the time. And I was like, I don't have a hundred dollars. They're like, can you? Uh, she like emailed me later. How about this? Ask your f- friends and family for a hundred dollars. Oh. I was like, lady, I used to do a lot of heroin. If I start asking for a hundred dollars, they're going to think I'm back on the stuff. No, I no, can't. no. It's for a sex cult. All right. Would you consider getting back on the heroin then? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've always wanted to be in a sex cult. I just said I never, you know, I was too much yeah. of a coward. Matt, I have I, I believe in you. Uh, I, I just want to state that here. And I believe that all of us can benefit from the story of Oregon's first great sex cult leader, Edmund Creffield. Oh, now, I'm going to guess yeah. you haven't heard of Edmund Creffield. No, but no. I love that. That's a great name. That's a guy yeah. who fucks name. That is that is a guy who fucks names. And that's also a guy who declares himself the second coming of Christ name. Well, yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah. This is one well. of those stories. Making yourself <laughs> Jesus, fucking a lot of people. Oh, so great. Mm-hmm. What a what a grift. It's the most <laughs> relatable grift too. Like I get it, dog. Yeah. Like you do what you gotta do to get that piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if it means declaring yourself the son of God. Which there's that great documentary series on Netflix about the twin flame cult, which is like mm. this mix of like kind of young millennial, older Gen Z, like uh fucking pseudoscience about relationships uh mixed with uh, also i this guy who is the only person who can determine if you've met your soulmate am jesus uh it's beautiful i love it it's very much descended because that guy spent some time in oregon from the cult we're talking about today which is have you ever heard the phrase holy roller i have but i don't know how this this cult was the holy rollers this is where the term comes from um and it is a surprisingly literal term (laughs) <laughs> There's a really popular song called Holy Roller. That's probably you've heard it. It may, may in Zach, fact, Zach, be based on Brian. this. That's yep. my assumption. So if you live elsewhere in the United States, Portland probably has primarily come to you in the form of a mix of like riot footage and Portlandia sketches, right? Yeah. Um, it, it had this reputation from like the end of the 90s to the early 2000s. It's like this kind of hip place where young artist types and intellectuals would congregate. And that's mainly because for a long time it was like this cheapest city on the West Coast. Yeah. 
now again it's like riots and urban decay and drug use and shit that like Fox News focuses on. And one of the things that's weird when I got into studying this guy who was like an early 1900s, 1903 to 1906 Oregon cult figure is you get all these like news stories about what happens with him and they all portray Oregon the same way that like Fox does today. Like this is a hundred and something years. It's like, this is the center of anarchy and violence. (laughs) And like these people are savage feral monsters, which I guess is something to be proud of. I love it. I love that Portland has never changed in the eyes of the national media. Always been the same place. It's like 19 fucking 13. And someone's like, everyone thinks they're so fucking cool with their beards. (laughs) Topping down trees. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it is funny. So we'll be talking about that today. So yeah, we are chatting about a a sex cult leader who declared himself Jesus Christ, Edmund Creffield. His actual name probably was Franz Edmund Creffield. He is yet again, Matt, a German. Hey, I I love it. I come on for the German episodes. Oh, yeah. You love a German. I love it. Um, no, we we picked. I picked a cult episode for you because I was like, we've done a lot of a lot of real horrible genocide guys in a war. I want something lighter, right? A yeah. little bit more fun. And then, yeah. bam, he turns out to be a German. You just Beautiful. can't. You can't miss him. You can't miss him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally, uh, a German who doesn't kill people. He just likes <laughs> to do sucky fucky. <laughs> yeah, he is. This guy's really going to rehabilitate their image. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is one of those cases where we have basically nothing about this guy's early life. He was probably born in Germany. I think it's possible he was born in like Austria, like somewhere around Germany, but like kind of unclear. We really don't know exactly when he was born. He was in probably in his 30s by the time the story starts, which would put his date of birth somewhere around the creation of Germany as a state, 1870, 71. Mm. But we don't really know. All we can tell for sure is that he immigrated to the United States likely at some point in the 1880s, probably as a teenager or a young adult. Some of his biographers postulate that he may have moved to the U.S. to avoid serving in the Kaiser's army. Because like everyone had to, right? Like you had to do your compulsory service in the Kaiser's army. He may have like bounced to here because he didn't want to do that. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I get it. He, he really was. Um, <laughs> it's also possible that like his family was rich. Some biographers will suggest that given that he seems to have had a degree of education that would have been unlikely for him to have attained if he had grown up sort of like poor. Mm-hmm. But all of that sort of speculation, what we know for sure is that by 1899, he has made his way from wherever he landed in the U.S., probably somewhere on the East Coast, to Portland, Oregon. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is the 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 mecca of every yeah. German immigrant who mm-hmm. wants to meet a nice hippie girl. Yeah, every every weirdo. Yeah, yeah, from from him to eventually Stalin's granddaughter. Portland, yeah. Portland calls. Yeah, I um, just found that out recently, and I followed her yeah. on Instagram. I'm like, ah, she's cool. I like. She's it. like, yeah, she's like a larper. It's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, she sounds. She seems fun. Yeah. So, and I don't mean larper in the sense we usually use it on the show. I mean, like, literally, I think she does like live action role playing stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, we know that Crefield was a deeply religious man. Uh, he felt called to witness for the Lord, like and like many similar young men in his position, he found himself drawn to the Salvation Army. Now, do mm. you know a whole lot, Matt, about the actual history of the Salvation Army? I don't. I've only ever been to a brick and mortar place called the Salvation Army, and I bought some wooden golf clubs. Oh, good. I, I didn't call you for a golf guy. 
Yeah, well, no, I wasn't. I just was like there, and I was like, oh, look at all this cheap stuff. It's like Goodwill, but worse. <laughs> and then there were some golf clubs, and I bought them. And I was like, why did I do this? But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about the Salvation Army. I, I've always just assumed that they were uh, like a charitable organization of some sort. Yes, they are. They are kind of, probably most people's primary contact with them is that during the holiday season, they'll be out in front of shops and stuff with these like red buckets, you know, yeah, they're bell this, asking uh, for... They'll have a Santa yeah. there sometimes. Usually it's often a Santa. Yeah. And people will point out it like if you're on social media, usually about this time of year, people will be like, don't donate to the Salvation Army. They're problematic. There's a bunch of reasons for that. I'm not advocating for the Salvation Army, but we are talking about their early history, which is not entirely the same as the organization as it exists today. Are you about to tell me that they are an actual army and they got guns and stuff? They don't have guns. They are organized exactly like an army. Like they, oh, that part oh they took very literally. <laughs> So a lot of soap beatings and yeah, stuff like, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Salvation Army was founded not long before Creffield's probable birth. It was formed in 1865, right, as the U.S. Civil War is ending, uh, by a pawnbroker who became a minister named William Booth over in, over in England. Um, okay. Now, pawnbroker does not seem like a good person job to me, right? Yeah, I don't actually know what a pawnbroker is. The guy who owns a pawn shop? Yeah, it's a guy who takes your stuff if you're poor and gives you a, some money for it, and maybe you get it back later. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You're not inherently bad, I guess, but it definitely like usually shady people wind up pawnbrokers. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a nice thing to do, but mm -hmm. I could see its usefulness. Yeah, I, I've known like a nice pawn guy, but I I don't I don't know. Maybe I maybe we shouldn't be just shit talking pawnbrokers. But now I think nowadays because of how much like payday loan shit, it's gotten sketchier. Right. So maybe right. it wasn't back then. Anyway, Booth actually does not seem to have been wildly sketchy. Um, mm. he was, however, super Christian, and his his life ambition he wanted to like turn the poor of London, particularly like prostitutes and alcoholics and criminals, into good Christians. Mm. Now. There's a lot of predatory religious figures in the last century and today who have a similar ambition. And what made Booth notable was his under he, he had this like thing he would say where he was like, no one ever became a Christian when they were starving. Right. Mm. So his attitude is if you're going to try to convert people, the best way to do that is by like doing nice things for them. Right. Yeah. Th that, which is like not the worst way to be an evangelist. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. That, that works. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm down for that. You know, yeah. like at least on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do a deep dive on Booth, but I haven't found any evidence that he was like within sort of the charitable figures of his day. Anything but like a pretty reasonable example. So his focus was he wanted to spread the gospel by improving the lives of poor and suffering people. Now, at first, he limited this to giving food and clothing and other kind of help to converts. But in 1878, like you know, this is at least the, the organization sort of story. Who knows if this is literally true? But the story goes that in 1878, he's sitting down and he's talking with his secretary. And he uses the phrase as he's like dictating a piece of, you know, propaganda, basically. The Christian mission is a volunteer army. This was was like what he wanted to use as their slogan yeah. and his son heard him and he's like i'm not a volunteer i'm a regular or nothing right like i'm not yeah. a volunteer soldier i'm like a career soldier in this christian army mm. and that convinces booth to change the name of his nascent charitable organization to the salvation army and to yeah. adopt a military style structure with like military style uniforms and shit <laughs> and ranks like officers in the salvation army are called like lieutenant captain booth is the general right like that's nice. how they discuss talk about themselves now yeah. 
that's like, I don't know, whatever. That's not particularly problematic. What is problematic is that new converts are called captives, which I do consider a little concerning. That's yeah, kind of captive sketchy. is a weird thing. To, <laughs> that's odd. <laughs> I mean, it's I guess it's like uh, maybe it's a critique of militarism yeah. where it's like, yeah, no, privates, I captives. Well, I don't know. Either yeah. way. It's, it's odd. There is definitely a degree of like, colonizer brain that is present sure. within the salvation but this is this is england in the late 1800s right. of course they loved the <laughs> yeah, colonizers where you were the yeah. coolest people you <laughs> yeah. could be um the salvation army again there's a lot of ugly things about the organization today that this is not this episode is not about that at the time of its founding though again it seems to have mostly been about like yeah making providing meals to like people in in london slums and shit in a history of the organization pamela walker wrote quote the mission, however, differed from other home missions. The authority it granted women, its emphasis on holiness theology and revivalist methods, its growing independence, and its strict hierarchical structure were all features that sharply distinguished it from its contemporaries. The Christian mission was created in the midst of the working class communities it aimed to transform. So there are some ways in which it's kind of less problematic with some of its peers. It gives a lot more sort of like power to women that are in the organization. It generally comes out of communities as opposed to being imposed on them. Yeah. That said, it is, again, colored by some problematic aspects of the time, including colonialism. In 1890, Booth and some of his colleagues wrote a manifesto, a, a book titled In Darkest England and the Way Out. And mm. as you may have guessed from that title, they're basically just comparing living conditions of the urban poor in like Western cities like London to Africa. Quote, right. as there is a darkest Africa, is there not also a darkest England? Civilization, which can breed its own barbarians, does it not also breed its own pygmies? May we not find a parallel at our own doors and discover within a stone's throw of our cathedrals and palaces similar horrors to those which Stanley has found existing in the great equatorial forest? <laughs> Hello. Chimney sweeps is all black people, yeah? <laughs> That is basically this guy's <laughs> belief system. And when he references Stanley, he's talking about Bastard's Pot alumni, Henry Morton Stanley, who, again, mm. machine gun natives in Africa repeatedly. Um, mm -hmm. Not a cool guy, but yeah. also very, like, popular. He writes a lot of books about his ex exploration and shit that are viral um, mm -hmm. in this time. So, you know, aspects of Booth's writing do kind of flirt with class politics, there's he's he's got a lot of focus on inequality, but he he doesn't see the root of inequality as like the structural factors inherent to the system that that governs the British Empire. Sure. He sees the root of inequality as like the fact that the poor don't have enough religion and discipline. Right. Yeah. Right? They they need they need Jesus and they need that's, Jesus. That's, yeah. That's all they needed. Yeah. The primary thing that like elevates him, because that's not an uncommon view among Christian charitable types in this period. Yeah. Even today. That, yeah. Even today. <laughs> What does kind of elevate him is that there is this consistent focus on like, and the way that you make them disciplined is by making sure they're not starving, first of all, which is like, mm. no matter what else you're doing, not a bad thing. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah that works. Yeah. People like do, in fact, need food. The organization, the Salvation Army, spreads to the U.S. in the late 1800s, uh, and they hold their first kettle fundraising drives. That's the start of them like ringing bells outside of shops and shit. That all begins in San Francisco. And by 1897, the Salvation Army is providing Christmas meals to more than 100,000 people in the United States. Damn. So that's about when Creffield joins. He's, he's kind of in Portland by 1899. We know he's with the Army then. So like right as it's sort of coming into prominence in the United States is when he gets involved, when it's sort of really snowballing as an organization. 
Now, whatever existed in Creffield's background, he was charismatic and self-confident as an adult. He's really good at speaking. He's good at preaching. And his superiors in the Salvation Army decide this is a guy who might, you know, be able to hold some rank here. And they send him to their officer candidate school. Once he's there and he's like under some scrutiny from from leaders, they're like, oh, my God, this man is out of his fucking mind. Right. He cannot work with other people. He is incapable of listening to anyone else. He has his own ideas about the Bible. And if yours clash with them, all he'll do is talk over you. He he cannot have a conversation like. Ugh. Yeah. Just like the worst type of guy to be in a school with. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds fucking <laughs> awful. Tr- truly terrible. Yeah. Um, God wants you to fuck. Yeah. Be fruitful, he says. <laughs> and when he gets out, you know, on the street working for the army, one of the things they also find is that like anywhere he's stationed, donations will drop because he loves ranting about his ideas, but he hates money and he doesn't like asking for it. And he started to believe that like, the Salvation Army has been corrupted by this focus on donations, like it's too money focused as opposed to being focused on spreading the gospel, specifically his very idiosyncratic ideas about the gospel, which like he's not wrong. One of the val- very valid criticisms of the Salvation Army is that like it is real much about the money, you know, sure. about getting in those donations. So. He's not alone in finding that frustrating, but he's like, it's frustrating because what they should be doing is telling everyone what I believe about the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and have we found what have we found out what he believes that's different from what they believe? Not not yet. We are about he's kind of forming those ideas right yeah. now, right? Definitely yeah. one of his beliefs at this time is that like Christianity has been corrupted by modernity, right? He's mm-hmm. not a doesn't like electric lights, doesn't like all the fancy new clothes people are wearing, doesn't like, you know, the, the bicycles a, with the big wheel oh, at the top hates and the bicycles. little wheel at the bottom. <laughs> really yeah. not a bicycle fella. Yeah. That is going to be a factor in the story, Matt. You've you've, you've oh. predicted it. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, it's a story about Portland, Oregon. Of course, yeah, it's going to be about bikes. Of course, there's bicycles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Creffield gets moved from Portland to the Dalles, which is Oregon's second city with a name that sounds kind of like Dallas. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he gets the other one being Dallas, Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he is moved to McMinnville, to Hepner. Um, and everywhere he goes, donations just plummet. He is a horrible person to have on your team if you're right. a Salvation Army guy. <laughs> Some sources I've read suggest he also has like a moral issue with taking money. But a big part of it seems to be that he knows the money is going not just he's it's going to feeding people. And when the Salvation Army like does these big like feeding people drives or whatever, when they have these big events, they're kind of secular. Right. Mm. We wouldn't consider them secular, but Creffield considers them secular. Right. Right. Um, And he says this in an interview with a reporter sometime after leaving the Salvation Army, quote, while in the Salvation Army, I had the light, but I did not have the power. I was teaching his works, but was still in the darkness. I did not experience the fullness of his power until I had tarried long before God in prayer. Then the light came. The Holy Ghost told me that I should live a life of pure faith. I was to do everything by faith. I could no longer work for the army because its people are not entirely of God. I could not take part in soliciting for funds. I was directed by the Holy Ghost not to solicit for money. It is not right to hold ice cream socials and other social gatherings where money is taken. <laughs> Just not. <laughs> Fucking ice cream out of homeless yeah. people's hands. Like, no, yeah. no, God doesn't want it. <laughs> he sounds fun, man. He sounds like uh, it's going to mm-hmm. work out good for him. You know what God does want, though, Matt Lieb? What does he want? He wants you to buy the products and services that support this podcast. Oh, that's what yeah. I thought God wanted. Good yeah. thing I'm going to buy them. 
yeah, check it out. Give God, you know, like 30 bucks. He needs it. God is hard up. That's now, right. is it possible that God just wants to buy some Molly and needs some cash? Sure. You know, I would say, but who are we to judge likely. God? He works hard. Why shouldn't God, he take Molly this weekend? I have always said, God, yeah. you work hard. You got to play hard. Yeah. Get some Molly. Massage yeah. your friends. Suck on one of those pacifiers. Yeah. Rave. Yeah. Yeah, go see VNV Nation. God loves V. Being an being ancient and born before time itself, he's a big VNV Nation fan. <laughs> Here's ads. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if people have learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You think, what's the catch? But there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com. Dot com slash behind. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Ah, we're back. This is Behind the Bastards. Uh, and again, we are uh, this episode raising money for the Portland Children's Museum to donate text bastards to 50155. And yeah. we're back to the story. Back to the tale. So let's get back into it. Talking about God. Talking about the G-Man, not mm-hmm. Gordon Liddy, but God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So Creffield gets uh, tired of working for the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army, by the way, very tired of Edmund Creffield. Yeah, um, they've had about enough of his shit anyways. He's not even good at the job, which is like terrible. literally just being Guy with Bell, getting yeah, the money. Yeah, can't do it. Can't shut yeah. up long enough to do it. So he bounces and he joins the Pentecostal Mission and Training School in Salem, Oregon. Okay. Uh, this is the project of a guy named Martin Ryan. And it's it's basically, it's a fundamentalist Christian like school, right? Like that's that's a, a way to look at it. Uh, in their book, Holy Rollers, Tima Kraken and Robert Blodgett describe the school this way. Ryan's group was part of a holiness movement that taught the Bible in its entirety from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life which is Revelations Damn. 22, 19. Basically, if you edit the Bible at all or don't take it all literally, that that's how they interpret it. If you don't take every word of the Bible literally, God will light you on fire and shit. God damn. Um, it's yeah. so boring, though. It is. It's super boring. It it's sucks such a, It's ass. a long, boring book with too many yeah. fucking words. Oh, my God. So many words more than there needed to be. In yeah, that I don't book. care who begat who. Just get to the fucking. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to begat my fist in your fucking face if you don't exactly. get along with the good yeah. parts of this shit. I'm going to take yeah. out my begat and just mm-hmm. bre- Wow, bre- nice, nice. I'm That's a rapper good. now. That was good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> so during his time with Ryan, uh, Creffield becomes aware of a new dro- doctrine, which is like a new sort of like set of religious teachings. Um, Mm. And as a part of that, he becomes aware of the fact that God has chosen him specifically. He is the Lord's elect, his new prophet on earth. Now, that's a great thing to learn about yourself. (laughs) That's Uh, a real quick, real quick turnaround on this guy. I mean, I knew he was like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a a little bit pedantic and maybe uh, confrontational. But now he's immediately like, you know what? I am God prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of being God, the prophet, mm-hmm. I am, I don't know, Sophie, are, are we allowed to keep doing the Jesus Christ of podcasting bits or did we get weird messages over those? No, but I hate it. Okay. Well, then we'll keep doing it. I like um, it. I don't yeah. know what it is. Let's do yeah. it. You well, are I, the Jesus Christ of podcasting. I, I am the Lord and Savior of podcasting. That's, That's obvious. Right. That's obvious to everyone. Well, I'm your, Let me well, wash I'm your feet. Your, well, mm-hmm. I'm your That's dad, right. bitch, and that's yeah. that's where we're I, at. I, no, Sophie, I feel like you are the Holy Spirit because you're mysterious. Uh, and if there if there is a father, God, the father of podcasting, unfortunately, it's Joe Rogan. Um, yeah. So oh, that that's part, your, that that's Mary Magdalene. Great. Of course. Yeah. That's you know your what? dad. Let's be Gnostic about this. Joe Rogan is like the evil fake God. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're the you're the He's real the demiurge. <laughs> God. And again, I'm Mary Magdalene. I'm a prostitute and I just want to rub oil on your feet. I'm more of a feet guy in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just going to, if I could just do that. Yeah, absolutely. Feet, Robert. Speaking of feet. Nope, not speaking of feet, guys. Um, (laughs) So we're talking about Edmund Creffield. Sorry. um, (laughs) Who who has just had it revealed to him that he is God's elect. And I found an interesting article by Sophie Coe submitted to the Young Historians 2017 conference uh, Mm. hosted by Portland State University that describes his next movements in this period. After separating from the Salvation Army, Creffield moved around to different cities, preaching his radical take on Christianity, most of which were places he had previously worked as a soldier and had connections to. People from cities like the Dalles and McMinnville dismissed Creffield for being too extreme, leading to his eventual arrival in Corvallis in 19- 
1903. Although the population was fairly poor, the community was close-knit and dominantly religious. These characteristics, as well as any connections he gained in the Salvation Army, likely prompted Crefield's faith in the people of Corvallis. Now, do you know anything about Corvallis, Matt Lieb? No, literally no, nothing. No, nobody does. It. Nobody fucking does. It is like one of the most boring towns uh, in, 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 in this whole state. This is the only thing that ever happened there. It's very pretty. It's in the western part of Oregon. It's kind of right in between Portland and, uh, and, and Eugene. Um, okay. Yeah, and in this period, today I think Corvallis is like, you know, like many sort of less dense chunks of 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 Oregon. Um but back then it is dirt poor, right? Everyone who lives there, almost everyone who lives there are these like subsistence farmers who leave lead very lean lives full of hard work, right? Yeah. It is a tight knit community. There are two newspapers. And since they are, it really lets you know like the how much how similar newspapers were to like <laughs> tweeting and TikTok in the era before those things. Um, Because the newspapers in Corvallis, they report absolutely everything that happens there. And I am talking about the most (laughs) pedestrian shit imaginable. Hell yes. Blodgett and McCracken write, quote, everything was reported. Everything. Go out of town. It was reported. A swift journey on a bicycle was made Saturday by Frank Hurt. He went from Corvallis to Oregon City in six hours. It is not likely that the trip was ever made by wheel in so short a time. That's from the Times in 1901. A man I'm... rode a bicycle. <laughs> I just love the journalism in a small town is mm-hmm. just the most nosy neighbor. Yeah. And he has a printing press. I, I do want to do like a like a modern day, like with like the same like Woodward and Bernstein level, like a uh, uh, skullduggery and like drama that you get from like Watergate era mm-hmm. journalism movies. But about stuff like this, like a guy gets a call in the night from like a, a shadowy figure and rode his bicycle from Corvallis to Oregon City today. <laughs> Pull the other thread. He gets car bombed trying to report on it. That's <laughs> <laughs> to meet with someone in an underground garage yeah. who gives yeah. them a file, mm-hmm. and the file is just someone like... <laughs> like a, a grainy picture of a man on a giant bicycle. <laughs> yeah. I think he's visiting family in Eugene. <laughs> oh, I love uh, it. So the problem, you know, Crefield picks Corvallis because it's the small town. Everyone's very religious. He's like, it's kind of isolated. You obviously want that as a cult leader. And like mm-hmm. these people will believe anything. So like these are these are my ideal sort of provincial rubes to to join the cult that I'm going to get. They'll buy what I'm I'm saying about being the new prophet of Jesus Christ. The downside of this place for him, which he doesn't seem to realize at the time, is that like because it's such a tight knit town, Corvallis is the kind of place where people are open to burying bodies for their neighbors, right? Which Uh-oh. presents a danger for cult sure. leaders, right? Like that's yeah. not necessarily the best place to start fucking around. You yeah. can get kind of lost in a city. Like you can't in Corvallis. Um, yeah, yeah. The the idea that like this small town, literally everyone knows where the bodies mm-hmm. are buried except for you. Yeah. Not necessarily seems... your safest bet. <laughs> nah, it seems kind of bad. So like a lot of the other cult leaders we've studied, the 12 tribes, which we did earlier this year, comes to mind. Crefield starts out when he first moves to Corvallis. He's not giving the whole span of like what his beliefs have become. He starts mm-hmm. preaching relatively popular Christian doctrine. And he's still he's identifying himself as a prophet. But he's basically saying, like, I'm a messenger who's and God talked directly to me. But he's still he's like giving he, he's respectful of like the local churches. He's not trying to get in their way. He's not trying to like out himself as somebody who's like 
running against all of the existing kind of religious infrastructure in the town, right? Um, mm-hmm. More of what he's saying is that like, hey, I have this close connection to God. And if you listen to what I'm saying, I can help guide you to spiritual perfection. That's the the term he uses a lot. And this is kind of his key innovation, right? Which is that he's not just saying I am speaking with God, but I can teach you how to receive direct messages from God, right? Oh, which for God one thing, DM'd me. Yeah. Make, it gives people a little bit more to aspire to rather than just listening to you like they get to get messages from God. And what it's also going to mean is that like if Crefield's not around to talk to them, like if he's in prison and stuff, the cult can perpetuate because these people are also talking to God themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's a smart it's a smart way to set this shit up. Yeah. Uh, he begins to claim, you know, once he's got people following him, showing up every week to listen to him preach, that once everyone's ready, like once people have like been following his his guidance enough, they'll be added to a holy role in heaven where God lists all of his best friends, right? And this oh, is- Oh, that's, that's what the role is. One theory as to okay. where the, that came from, right? Um, the other theory is that it has to, something to do with the specific nature of how they are worshiping when he's holding these big preaching sessions. And I'm going to quote from Blodgett McCracken again. For hours, Crefield kept his flock in a state of frenzied excitement. He had them rolling, praying, rolling, wailing, rolling, groaning, ro- rolling, singing, rolling, clapping, rolling, stomping, rolling, tumbling, rolling, and rolling, and rolling. For hours on end, he had them rolling. 12 hours if it was a short service. 24 hours if it was a typical service. All heads were spinning because they were glorying in heaven. And so, What the he, fuck? Yeah, he's literally got them rolling around on the ground for 24 hours at a stretch. And Dude, part that's of power. I yeah, get that. Yeah. I kind of want that. Who wouldn't want that, right? <laughs> I would love to just yeah. make a bunch of piggies roll in front of me. Just like, roll yeah. for God. Yeah. I have roll! to feel. Yeah, that's probably what was going on in like Andy Kaufman's head when he made that audience like m- walk with him to get ice cream, where he's like, I, I could take this much further. <laughs> yeah. It's unlimited power just takes it. Yeah. They occupy a police station. Yeah. I think also what's going on here, you know how like little, little, little kids, when they find out if they can like spin around, they get kind of dizzy. They, yeah, they do right. that a lot. It's like getting high at the first way. That totally. Uh, exactly um, what I was thinking. It's like, is he getting yeah. these fools high from I think rolling? Because like, yeah, they're, they're like, you, especially if you're not eating, you're starving yourself and rolling around a bunch. Yeah. You're going to feel weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're going to become susceptible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And this kind of like some of this is classic cult shit, right? The uh, the whole starving people for periods of time. A lot of cults do this because it makes you worse at decision making. I haven't heard of anyone having people like roll around on the ground for 24 hours to get <laughs> them all buzzed. Insane. That's kind of cool. <laughs> That's MK Roltra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're going to get you mm-hmm. to fucking give us the goods. That's kind of a credible theory as to where the name Holy Rollers comes from too is like, oh yeah, man, I, I get why you would call them that. They're literally worshiping by rolling around on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, it makes sense. Yeah. Now, this kind of all-consuming worship is consistent with what Crefield was starting to claim about his God-inspired take on Christianity. He believed, and he he would argue God had told him, that true Christians should not have time for anything else in their lives but worship, right? Anything else you're doing, farming, raising your kids, literally anything but worship is a waste of time and of the devil, right? Um, So if you're, you know, the upside of that is that it keeps everyone focused on him the whole time. The downside is that spending a full day or more rolling on the ground is not conducive to like 
growing the food you need to survive, right? Right, yeah. Um, These are subsistence farmers. Like, they yeah. can only roll for a little bit, and then yeah, they, they got to get back to the they, farming. They don't have a lot of rolling time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's also, I, the other thing, I, we just noted how starving yourself and rolling around a bunch gets you kind of in this altered state that makes you more suggestible. Sure. That's not the only thing going on. It's also fun, right? His worship, yeah. they're not just rolling around. They're like rolling and dancing and like flinging their bodies around and like shrieking, yeah. uh, screaming. They are expressing themselves and their fr- feelings, both through like vocalization and through physical movements. And these are people, not only are these all subsistence farmers, which is a difficult and often brutal way to exist, especially in 1903. This is a super strict Victorian prudish society that is anti-women expressing themselves. That's anti many different facets of self-expression we consider like normal today right. and he's giving them an outlet like yeah. it, that that's a, it's fun people like being in Creffield's cold a lot better than they like slowly dying on a farm in rural Oregon you know sure. like yeah. <laughs> yeah this is like uh you know peloton classes or typo yes. or something yes shit. there's a definite element of peloton type like that that kind of yeah. shit here and most of the people joining his cult are women right yeah some of them really are well is, off uh... Some of them are poor, but all of them feel like they're missing something. Like in in part, what you get from all these people is like they seem bored with their lives because their lives fucking suck. Yeah, like it's shitty. All 16, they do is 17, like fucking farm start making and starve. Kids. Yeah. Now, yeah. guy shows up, hot fucking German guy shows mm-hmm. up, is like, hey, we're rolling this week. Yeah, and they're gonna and be like, like, sure. Yeah, I don't want to go is, back. <laughs> yeah, this is a time when like a game was like having a, a wheel and a stick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, or closing like, your eyes and pretending your brother didn't die of consumption. You know, right, like exactly. that's a fun parlor game for us. Yeah, in or reading one of two newspapers that are keeping tabs <laughs> on your neighbors. You hear about this bicycle shit? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Crefield preached a sense of separation from the profane world, but he also utilized the tactics that he'd learned out in it. And chief among them was hypnotism, right? We don't have as much detail about this as I'd like, but it is theorized that he took classes in in, in hypnotism. He's basically certain that he did um, because he's using a lot of, like at the time, hypnotism is like a viral meme spreading mm. through society. It's super hip. And a lot of the what he's doing in his speeches is like kind of borders on hypnotism, right? Like he seems to be very familiar with that and utilizing that as well, which helps is part of why he's got this popularity early on. Yeah. He's so, having them roll around. I mean, that yeah. shit is fucking, you know, that yeah. feels kind of hypnotic. And yeah. Instead of a watch swinging back and forth, it's yeah. your head. Yeah. And so, you know, this uh, uh, dozens and dozens flock to his banner, but, you know, dozens, hundreds more of people in Corvallis are angry. Right. He's described in newspaper editorials as a hypnotist. Uh, They write that his followers are, quote, dead to all human sympathies. Now, I mean, they're doing what I would if I saw this in the wild. Yeah. I, a modern person, would say they're witches. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see like the rest of the town or the neighboring towns being like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. This disturbs a lot of people. Sure. Um, And it's also like the the idea, you know, part of why I'm not sure exactly how solid the hypnotism claims are is that the journalists at the time use this a lot. And and a large reason why they describe him as a hypnotist is because they have to explain how all of these young women are drawn to him. Well, in their opinion, he's ugly, right? <laughs> he's not even that hot, and they all want yeah. to roll around. 
I'm going to quote from Sophie Coe's uh, write-up here. Quote, Edmund Creffield was described as being physically unattractive and homely, but very persuasive and attractive for other reasons. His personality was said to be magnetic. Many claimed that he had power over others, especially women that put them under a spell. Yes. Now, those other reasons we will get into a little bit later, but mm. but but not quite yet. Uh, for now, the final piece of the Creffield puzzle and the real bit of genius in his cult was that he doesn't just promise conversations with God. He added a ticking clock, right? Not, you can connect directly with God. He can talk to you personally, but there's only so many names that we have space for on the holy roll, right? Yeah. God's like one of those cell phone plans in the 90, where you, 90s where you get to like pick your five friends to text with for free. Like that's that's how speaking with God works. Yeah. God doesn't do roaming data. Mm-mm. Like God, you have to be in the plan. God's yeah, plan yeah. is a very, very cheap cell phone plan. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> and you know who else offers cheap cell phone plans? Uh, the products and services. That at least you one have of on them. The yeah, podcast? we definitely at least one of them does. In fact. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. So at least go. one. At least one. Sometimes yeah, two. Sometimes multiple two. cell phone services fighting in cell the cell phone. Section. Yeah. Anyway. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Ah! Oh! We're back. Hey. We're talking about Eddie C. So many of the first members of Crefield's cult are Salvation Army volunteers who saw his personal and ecstatic relationship with God as much preferable to acting as foot soldiers for donations. Now, initially, he would allow you to kind of be in his flock and also stay a member of the Salvation Army or stay a member of one of the other churches that are in town in Corvallis. But soon he starts to warn his growing flock that other Christians are not trustworthy, right? And they have to start isolating themselves. He Mm. preached, quote, when you get him, the Holy Ghost, you'll bring consternation wherever you go. Peace ceases when you make your appearance. The so-called Christians of the modern churches of today rise up in arms against you and call you a disturber of the peace, charging you with the crime of breaking up their churches. And... (laughs) He absolutely 
went deliberately about breaking up churches, right? First, he uses his familiarity with the organization to pull in Salvation Army volunteers. Um, and then he would like preach to people outside of churches when they were in the mood to receive God. And once they start getting interested in his idea of this direct converse connection with God, he introduced a question, right? If your old church or if the Salvation Army was really holy, wouldn't you already be talking with God, right? You've already oh, accepted shit. that this is the goal and you're not, which means these must be false churches, right? Yeah. He makes a great point. He makes a solid point. Yeah. People yeah. go to they go to church every Sunday. They don't talk to God once or God no. at least doesn't talk no. back. No, but you take mushrooms. Boom. You're right there, baby. So yeah, take <laughs> mushrooms. Talk to the trees, dog. Yeah, They'll give you to... some life advice. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps it says more about how boring Corvallis is than anything, but this pitch worked on quite a few people. <laughs> the Gazette, a local paper, wrote this in, in December of 1902. The Salvation Army's people were not entirely of God, or so Crefield, God's elect, had told them. So all of God's anointed deserted the army. The big drum of the Salvation Army is no longer in evidence about eight o'clock each evening, and tambourines are very cheap. The army has gone to its religious Waterloo. It met a body of divine healers, the Army of Holiness or something, and went over to the enemy. True religion of a respectable character, a religion that is reasonable, that commands at least the respect of the greatest thinkers and a better class of people, is the last thing on earth that should be treated in a contemptuous manner, but a holy show that is a burlesque on religion is a bad thing for any community as it is not taken seriously and consequently lays the foundation for the youth of the land to scoff at religion of any form. There should be reason and moderation in all things. There may be efficacy in prayer, who can say there is not, but it must be the prayer of a sane mind and a reasonable being. The prayer of a religious fanatic cannot avail much. Ugh, shut up. I, I know, I know. You suck just to, that is, by the way, this story is not a story of like the good people of Corvallis and this evil cult leader. Everyone sucks in this story, right? Yeah. Everyone is like, they're all pieces of shit. So is this reporter, right? Being like, our Victorian churches that teach you to hate your penis, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, they don't even punch their balls in that yeah, church. Yeah. yeah well, they're not locking themselves inside a chastity belt. Yeah. Listening to this nut telling them that you can have fun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is like, it reminds me of, uh, what was that, Wild Wild Country, where yeah, you like yeah. learn about the Rajneesh, and then yeah. they do interviews with the townsfolk, and I was like, I don't know if I like them yeah. either, I'm no, with the Rajneeshies here. I would have poisoned them too, fuck oh, it. Yeah, yeah, I would have <laughs> fucking did, did some ground beavers in their water supply as well. Yeah, why not, why not? I do that anyway, just for fun. Yeah, it's hilarious it's to watch Most people, people don't get enough like, beavers in their water. Is that beaver? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, scientists recommend at least you drink three beavers per year. So Right, you know, yeah, that's good science. Gotta move on. So one of Crefield's first converts was a young woman named Maud Hurt, which is kind of a kind of a cool name. Like if you were doing like a fucking Warren Ellis comic about mm-hmm. like a, a badass female preacher who was like killing, I don't know, gangsters in 1904, you'd call yeah, her yeah, Maud yeah. Hurt. Yeah. yeah, cool name. Good stuff. I like it. Yeah. So one of her friends told a journalist later that from an early age, Maud's chief aim had been, quote, to become nearly as perfect as a Christian could be. And for a time, she practiced this by like, she was always the person if like you were sick, she'd go over to your house, she'd watch you, she'd take care of your kids if you had to like go harvest and stuff. Just a very mm-hmm. nice giving person. Now that's beginner level shit. Yeah. yeah, Let's get to the real Christian shit. Well, when she's 14, she decides to do that. She joins the Salvation Army where she Mm. meets Crefield and very soon thereafter is like, I'm out. Uh, I, you know, the the Salvation Army is too focused on money. I want to meet this guy who is, is 
kind of yelling curiously at me. hot this guy's telling me he's yelling a at me. Yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I'm getting he's, in there. I'm picturing Willem Dafoe, but based yes. on the way they're yes. writing about yes. him, it's just uh, and like... And for another reason, too. Yes. Yeah, he would be what the, I figured. He'd be the right guy to play this. <laughs> or at least Willem Dafoe, like Circa Boondock Saints, would yes. have been a great yes, guy yes. to play this. Mm-hmm. So you do get similar stories from other converts, as this passage from the book Holy Rollers makes clear. One of Creffield's most ardent followers was Samson Levins. Samson, 35, the second youngest of nine children, had been a private in the Spanish-American War and was now a logger. He had a deep interest in the Methodist Church, he said, but when it failed to meet his heart's desire, he joined Creffield's Church. Some people think ours is a strange doctrine, but John Wesley was attacked by mobs when he founded the Methodist Church, Samson said, adding, of course, the church now is not as he, John Wesley, left it. So he's like, I was already a part of this kind of fringe movement that was founded by a nut. Uh, and, you know, it, the fact that Creffields is weird is just makes him seem more legitimate to me. Right. right? Yeah. It's like, like well, the Methodist church has gotten too normal now. It's time to get weird again. Yeah. Now, we see this same pattern over and over again. A man or a woman of belief joins the church, but they don't feel spiritually sated, right? Maud doesn't feel sated by the Salvation Army. Uh, this fucking dude, Levins, doesn't feel sated from the Methodist church. And so they leave to find something more radical. And I, I it's not just radical, but it's interesting. I cannot overemphasize how much the appeal of being in Creffield's cult is based on the fact that life is boring as shit outside of it, right? <laughs> you have to reckon with the fact with how much this place fucking, fucking sucks. sucks. Yes, you that is a big factor. Shit. <laughs> so in mid-1903, the city of Corvallis officially forbade Creffield and the Holy Rollers from hosting meetings in Corvallis. Exiled, Edmund found an island a few miles outside of town. Oh, no, Robin- no. Oh, yeah, man. We're doing it. We're doing oh, it. We're getting to an island. As soon as we get on the water, oh, that's when yeah. shit gets weird. Oh, yeah. That's how you. That's when cults get good. <laughs> that's when oh. cults really find Look, themselves. Folks, like, there is an island. isolate in a place where to leave means to drown. There is an island right in the middle of Portland, Oregon. You know, it's right in the Willamette. If we buy that island, folks, if we raise money together and buy me that island, I promise I'll make this guy look like a fucking chump. Like, first off, going to get a lot of you killed. Like, let's just be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it'll be a good Netflix documentary in 20 No, it's blood in, blood out. But also, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, you're going to learn about how to do, uh, like, knife throwing. You're going to learn how to tie knots. You're going to learn, you know, how to wash feet. Once they kill us, Taylor Lautner is going to play me. Um, It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be so good. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. You guys have a similar Why? 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 Because this, this Sophie, because you didn't know, I will I, set you no, free. No, no, you did not get the 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 Taylor Lautner hat I wore like two months ago. You didn't get the reference, and that hurt my feelings. I have hat blindness, Sophie. Thank you. for I making read it fun out. I read me. it out loud to you. I have and then yeah, I made ear blindness too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listeners, Robert, nor any member of the Cool Zone Media team, not a single one of them knew my "Where the hell have you been, Loka?" hat. Not a single one of them. And then I made them all watch the clip twice on a team meeting. Is, that's is the, that Twilight? That's twi- Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. Well, it's because it's Taylor Lautner. It's either that or Spy Kids. Yeah, Has yeah, he yeah. been in anything else? I, Spy Kids is my He reference. wasn't in Spy Kids. <laughs> he wasn't. He oh, was no. In he was in Shark Boy. Boy. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Same no, diff. No, you're Lautner. I have Shark Boy <laughs> slash Spy Kids blindness, too. So, it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. You can't make fun of me for it. Anyway. Yeah. In mid-1903. <laughs> That's who's going to play you. 
In mid-1903, the city of Corvallis officially forbade Crefield and the Holy Rollers from hosting meetings in town. So he decides we're going to move to this island, Robinson's Island. Um, and he described to his followers, he's like, this is literally the Garden of Eden. Um, yeah. So biblical scholars out there, if you're curious, the Garden of Eden, it turns out, was based right on the outskirts of Corvallis. <laughs> yeah, you could take a ferry to it. Yeah, you could take a ferry there. <laughs> so Again, and it's, you know, if you've been to a lot of these islands in Western Oregon, they are very pretty places. Like, it's not a big stretch oh, to yeah. be like, this is paradise. <laughs> Especially, this yeah. is kind of like midsummer or so, late summer when oh, they move, which is God, like, oh, it's, it's, perfect. Per- it's incredible. And it's easy to see how yeah. you would enjoy living out in one of these islands in like midsummer in Western Oregon. Yeah, great. There's, there's none of those snitch journalists <laughs> yeah. out there. Now you can roll around on the ground, yeah, have you your have titties great pop time. out. No one's going to yell oh, at you for being titties a Titties are popping out because he's letting people. People know at this point, you know, what's what is godly is not wearing these fancy newfangled clothes. You know, that's the whole point of the Garden Mm -hmm. of Eden. dog. Absolutely. Eve ate that apple like an idiot. Everyone just had their titties. It is pretty fun. Yeah, they're doing a lot of rolling around. They're shrieking for hours or days at a time. They're not wearing much in the Mm -hmm. way of clothing. They don't have a lot of food, but there's a peach orchard nearby. So every day they just gorge themselves on stolen peaches. Uh, And then then they return to worshiping, which is not the worst life you can live in this period of time. Everything. (laughs) Yes. You're describing what my sex cult fantasy is. It's just like fucking Mm -hmm. gorging myself on peaches, rolling around screaming. Yeah, yeah. What's what's not to like? I'm married and have a baby, but I could still dream. Now, that all does sound fun. But if you're keeping track on your cult bingo card, Crefield has at this point convinced his followers to sever themselves from their friends and their community and work them into yep. a state of constant exhaustion and starvation. And if you sure. if you know your cults, you know what comes next. It's time to start fucking them. Right. Like <laughs> that is that is yes. what follows <laughs> naturally. Sucky, fucky, sucky, yeah, fucky, naturally, sucky, fucky. the next step. So one fine day, Edmund Crefield gets up in front of his flock and he tells them that he and God have just gotten off the phone and God ha- <laughs> I just got off the phone. <laughs> just got off the horn with God. He's doing good. Um, yeah, and he says my cum is holy. <laughs> that is where this ends. He first says, God has told me I need to rename myself Joshua, right? So now Edmund mm. Crefield is Joshua Crefield. And it gets better mm-hmm. uh, because God has also told him that all of his female followers are now eligible to become brides of Christ, right? And one of these <laughs> brides of Christ is going to be chosen by God to give birth to the second coming, right? One of you is going to be the new Mary but obviously, God can't just pick one of you. We got to test you out. And guess exactly. guess who's testing you out? <laughs> Edmund Crefield. <laughs> I got to audition God. you for God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, I, God has not told me. Uh, he says he needs to feel through my penis, yeah. which holy vessel, <laughs> your pussy, should receive the seed of the mm-hmm. Lord or something. That, you guys ready? Yeah, fuck? that is basically almost exactly how this goes, Matt. Now, Joshua's <laughs> male followers had a purpose too, of course, and their purpose was to provide him with the resources he needed to build his flock. Now, this is 
all he wants them doing, right? Early on, there were a number of like couples who joined the Holy Rollers. Uh, Maud, the Salvation Army veteran I mentioned earlier, she joined with her fiance, mm -hmm. a guy named James Berry, who was like a local businessman and I think kind of the wealthiest guy in town. And so early on, he's cool with this in part because he needs Barry's money, right? And Barry gives a couple of loans to the cult, but it, it's never quite enough. Um, so one day when they're out on the island, James Barry, who's kind of like in and out, right? He's not fully committed, but he's giving him money because his his fiance is in it and he loves her. He, mm -hmm. he arrives on the island to like check in on Maud and he finds the Holy Rollers even more excited than usual. And he's like, why are you guys also fucking amped up? And they're like, we're we're excited because God's going to build us a tabernacle, right? He's going to start construction immediately. We're going to get our, you know, we're living outside. Fall's getting closer. Mm -hmm. We really need a place. He's going to build it for us. And James is like, well, tabernacles ain't cheap. Where are you guys getting the money to build it? And they're like, oh, you, you're giving us the money. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it turns out Joshua had started preaching. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Joshua. I got to get a second job. I got to work for both newspapers now. <laughs> what's what's really funny about this to me. So Joshua is like, we need even more money from James Barry to build a temple, right? We need to get like all mm -hmm. of his money as opposed to these loans he's given us. And what's the best way to do this? Should I like reach out to him, talk to him privately, be like, hey man, we need more money than you've been giving us. We, we got to build this temple. He's like, no, no, no. That he could say no. The best thing to do is I'm going to tell everyone that he's already agreed and then trust that that yeah. will like shame him into doing it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. This does not go over well. James like confronts the prophet and he's like, dude, I've already loaned you guys money and it's due, right? The loan is past due. Yeah. And Crefield is like, I came here to pick it no, up. No, no, no. Easy mistake to make, but it's not due. I just got off the phone with God. He said he canceled the debt. So actually, would you do me a favor and write a receipt letting me know that we don't have a debt anymore? Because because God says it's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, this is pure pimp oh, status here. This is like, <laughs> this is such pimp it's status. Great. This guy is like, no, actually, you owe me yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and I'm going to fuck your fiance. Yeah. Oh, that is God. exactly where this is headed. Um, of course it is. To talk about what comes next, I'm going to quote again from Holy Rollers. God was now telling Crefield that James should quit work, sell his valuables, including his new automobile, and give the money to Crefield and devote himself to the church. The automobile, one of the first in Corvallis, was obviously something received from carnal hands. Either God or Crefield made a mistake, James said, telling God's anointed that he wasn't going to give Crefield another cent. God was mad now, or so said Crefield, who said that God would smite James for this. So... He was not done. Crefield's not done with Barry at the smiting. Uh, he decides that if this rich guy is going to stay devoted to his carnal possessions, then he certainly doesn't deserve to be married to a woman as godly as Maud, who, by coincidence, Crefield wants to have sex with. So he, yeah, I mean, he's known her since she was fourteen. Right, yeah. I get it. He tells, he tell, yeah, he tells Maud, the Lord told me that you have to break off your engagement, um, and she does. She does this immediately. So after oh. this, he kind of gets high off of this. The fact that like this, he, he says, hey, leave your fiance. And this woman does it. And so he starts preaching hardcore about personal purity. Right. Um, he starts like yes. discussing like how hot he's got this this hatred of like the carnal. Um, he tells his followers, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Are you still in bondage mm -hmm. to your carnal nature? Is the old man still living in your heart? Have you still this man? 
man-fearing spirit, this something which hinders you from becoming a visitor at all times. Do not be discouraged. God wants to use you, to cleanse you, to purge you from your inbred sin, baptize you with fire, and enable you to come up to his commandments to live a holy life. Claim the promise, stand firm upon it, and the witness of the spirit will come and will baptize you with his love and make you a holy man, make you victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Hey, are you trying to fuck my wife? <laughs> I feel like, guys, I, he's trying to fuck our wives. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, you can do it. That's what that is. That is how a lot of the men in his cult react at this point. This is when a lot of them start. Sure, to of course they yeah. do, because every any man can yeah. see where this is exactly. Headed. Yeah. The, yeah, any man is going. I know what you're doing, dude. You're trying to fuck my wife. <laughs> Now, that is happening at the same time. What a lot of these women are doing is like, well, my husband's terrible at sex and I bet Creffield fucks. (laughs) That is is the other half of this story, right? So the fact that this works so well seems to kind of have surprised Joshua. And so he immediately decides to double down. He tells another couple in his flock, Sophie Hartley and Lee Campbell, hey, God wants you to end your engagement, uh, declaring, and he and he declares, he gives a speech where he's like, the relation of man to wife is unholy. Uh, and as support mm. for this, he cites 1 Corinthians uh, 7.1, uh, quote, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And again, he means the other men in his flock, right? Right. right. No, yeah. no, no, no. Now- no, different standards for him, bro. That's and the, the the actual quote, like context of that verse is basically from the the point of the Bible where he this is said is like sexual immorality is a, any sex at all. Um, but since it's inevitable, men and women should get married and fulfill their marital duty, right? Which is not a great mm-hmm. message either, in my opinion. But it's not exactly how sure. Crefield is is uh, portraying it. Um, but Crefield's theological argument is that his followers going to get closer to God and be holier people by eschewing all sex, except for the sex that he has to have in order to find the bride mm. of Christ. Right. Um, unfortunately, the new Joshua isn't able to get this commandment out fast enough to stop all of his followers from getting married. Molly Sandal and Frank Hurt wed the night before God gets on the heavenly phone line with Joshua. And luckily for them, God, you know, because they're really concerned when they get married and then he has this revelation like, oh my God, are we out of step with what God wants? And Joshua's like, don't worry. God told me a way that you can still receive the grace of love, right? We just have to perform Mm. a, I just have to perform a private ceremony with your wife to endow her with with the the grace of love so hell yeah exactly what happens here yeah it's not a hundred percent clear but it's described in holy rollers is like they retire to his intent and engage in a long church service right and we know that afterwards he like kisses all of the women that he does this with right so you can Mm. put two and two together right as to yeah, like what this yeah, service yeah, yeah. is. Um, there are a few couples and a few people who refuse this new change for the cult. And he denounces them all as carnal and of the devil. He makes his followers cut off contact with them. Normal cult leadership, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there's also, you know, if you kind of fall out of favor of Joshua and do something he calls carnal, you don't have to leave. There is a way that you can atone. And that is by letting him whip you, Right. Now, he does this to men and women, although I think he does it more to men than women. 
There's a, sure. a, a local uh, and contemporary news report that describes when one of Joshua's followers, Ed Sharp, like sneaks into the prophet's tent when he's like whipping another man. Um, and he like sees the two of them and they mistake him for the devil is what's written in the news article and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Wait, the whip yeah. man also yeah, beats they the both shit beat out the him? shit out of him and then Ed's like, fuck this, I'm leaving the cult. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sorry, bro. We thought you were the devil. You snuck up yeah, on us while yeah. you, common mistake. I was whipping him and he was enjoying <laughs> it to all of us. So yeah. Ed is fairly representative of a large number of male followers of Crefield who increasingly leave the flock as time goes on. And it grows clear that the primary goal of the prophet's teaching is to let him have sex with every woman in town. When some of his most stalwart male followers balk, Crefield declares that all of the men in the camp, save his three lieutenants, are fake Christians and now have to be shunned by not like all non-believers. Families nice. are split up as a result of this. And if it's hard to believe that people would do this, you have to remember everyone's spending every waking hour. It's been months now praying the entire time they're awake, often for 24 hours in a row. The only food they have is peaches. And now the only approved dick is Crefield. So like people are not yeah. in the most rapid rational place, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And this is the point at which the outside world, right, which includes the town of Corvallis, starts to get really concerned. The Salvation Army, concerned by declining donations and all these defections, sends one of their best soldiers out after the problem. Captain Sh Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. This island's about to be invaded yeah. by the Salvation Army. That's right. That's Army. right. They send in Captain <laughs> Charles Brooks, who has been, he's been a Christian soldier for 11 years. He's recently met General Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, to like talk this over. This, and so he like- This guy's got a tactical bell yeah. that he's going to bring like to raise Liam money. He's like the Liam Mason of the Salvation Army. <laughs> Except as soon as he arrives, something happens, right? Within days oh, of no. getting there, he like claims in a letter that he he was, as soon as he gets to the island, the devil approaches him who's and the devil's covered in snakes. And he like sends a bunch of hideous reptiles that like swarm and cover Brooks um, and quote, as a means of placating his devilish majesty, Brooks tears off his Salvation Army uniform and throws it into the fire. Um, and then- announces mm -hmm. that he's also a prophet and joins Crefield's flock. Um, oh, hell yeah. This guy saw what, what was going on and he said like, oh, I'm down for this. Entirely dog. possible. He's just like, this seems like more fun than the Salvation Army. I, yeah, he shows up at Titty Church and he's like, I prefer Titty Church. I have another theory too. So oh. Western, Northwest Oregon is where like one of the densest places in the world for like the natural growth of magic mushrooms, you get a shit. I have a oh. bunch of friends. People pick them all over the place here. And yeah. it's been known for a while that we have hallucinogenic mushrooms. I wouldn't be surprised if they were like the Salvation Army guys here. Well, let's let's give them some tea. You know, like, let's give them some like tea, yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that were a factor in this. Um, oh, yeah. yes. He also could have picked some accidentally and just made himself trip. Sure. Not impossible. He was hungry. The whole like Saw some mushrooms. I hallucinated a lizard man thing makes me wonder like. Yeah. Was this I hallucinated yeah. a lizard man and now I'm also yeah. talking to God. Yeah. That does say <laughs> tripping does on mushrooms. sound a little bit like mushrooms. Yes. Um, so. You know, it's important to note that everything we've been talking about here so far has occurred over the course of the summer of 1903. And if you haven't 
been here. Oregon has really mild, pleasant summers, famously, right? That's something that we are infamous for, especially like Western Oregon. But in the fall, it gets very wet, very fast, and also quite cold, right? Um, And so living alone outside naked in an island, not going to be a great call, like come, you know, September, October. It's going to get markedly less pleasant very quickly. So Maud is able to thankfully invite her prophet and 18 of his most devoted followers into her family home to like wait out the winter. So at this point, Crefield is now back in Corvallis and he has taken a significant chunk of the young women in town into his cult. He's broken up a bunch of marriages and he has moved what resembles a harem into a family house in town. This is not popular. Right. (laughs) This is going to piss off a number of people. And I'm going to quote now from offbeat Oregon history author Finn J.D. John. Their simple clothing consisted of a plain cloth wrapper, which one source recounts was similar to a bathrobe. The outsiders felt was inadequate to protect female modesty and in any case looked entirely too easy to take off. By itself, the communal living arrangement would have been bad enough, but Crefield's followers combined it with a mania for secrecy that all but invited other community members to fear the worst. Members vanished from their families' lives into a locked house with barred windows, supervised only by the cult leader and his cronies. So, you know, there's a lot of things small town Oregonians are willing to overlook in neighbors, but not stealing their yeah. sisters and wives. Uh, and to be entirely yeah, and making them dress yeah. all slutty. To be entirely fair to Crefield, that's how these guys viewed it. The men in Corvallis. It's not clear to me that he's stealing anybody, right? It, uh, most yeah. times when we talk about a sex cult, they're pretty profoundly <laughs> abusive. But the culture is also very abusive to women in this period. And it's it seems like, based on the information we have, the women who join this cult much prefer it to their lives outside of the cult. And yeah, I gotta say, from my <laughs> like, you know time visiting or like like Portland, yeah. not much is not changed. much has changed. Yeah, you know, yeah, the women there they still like to be free. I've you know I've I've had brunch at multiple strip yeah. clubs there, and and you know I, I do think a lot of like the portrayal of like this cult is like him being this he stole all these women, he's ruining the women in town, is based on the fact that this is a deeply misogynistic society. And like, I think a lot of these women are making potentially, I think it would be reasonable to say a perfectly rational decision to live a much more pleasant life with this guy than with their shitty husbands. Yeah, the guy talks good, he's hot, he's got a big hog, and he's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I mean, he's like, he's like, um, he's manipulating yeah, them. He, sure. he is absolutely abusive. It's just, it's not clear to me that he, he is more abusive than the men in town. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, it's an abnormal type of abusive, sure. but maybe it's just different. I'm right? still maybe on not his even side. Lesser, but like, it, it, it yeah. I think it's not, it's not clear to me that these women are not making the most kind of informed decision they can be making that this is better than their yeah. lives in town. Um, which doesn't yeah. mean he's not also abusive. It's just a bad time, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about all of that and much more in part two. But before we get into part two, Matt Lieb, mm. you exist on the Internet in a variety of places. I am on the Internet. If you like me and you like watching television shows like The Sopranos or The Wire, uh, you can listen to Pod Yourself uh, a gun, which is a Sopranos and the Wire rewatch podcast, uh, and then once the wire's over, we'll watch another show. Uh, so check that out. 
wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, even if you don't watch it or or listen to the show, give us five stars in a mm-hmm. review. Say, hey, that Matt, Le- that Matt Lieb sure is great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to it at some point, but you don't even have you to. You don't even have uh, to, but you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you should. Absolutely. Yeah, you, should. you should listen to it. You know, move on to an island with Matt Lieb. You know, do whatever exactly, he says. Dude, move to an island. Bring your mm-hmm. wife. Whatever. Yeah. yeah well, have, well uh, yeah. And uh, if you are in the donating mood, the Portland Children's Museum uh, could use your help to provide kids all throughout the Portland metropolitan area with educational resources and, uh, yeah, all sorts of fun stuff. So please text BASTARDS to 50155 if you're in the mood to donate. That's BASTARDS to 50155. And if uh, you – I don't know when this episode is going to come out, so I don't know if the tickets – Oh, yeah, next yeah. week? No, 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 no. Okay. Next week is Thanksgiving, so we're not, uh, we're not. Oh, fuck next week! The to follow- hell with next week. week. Next week can the die in a fire. The last week of the, the last week of November. Yeah. Okay. Well, the tickets won't necessarily be on sale, mm-hmm. but I might as well just say, uh, March seventeenth, Sunday, uh, Punchline in Sacramento. Uh, myself and uh, my wife, Francesca Fiorentini, will oh, be. Oh shit! I'm sorry. I shouldn't wife. have done that at all. No, I always do it. Uh, We are going to be headlining the punchline in Sacramento. That's Sacramento, California, 7 p.m. Sunday, March 17th. Uh, If you can't get your tickets, then, uh, you know, just keep that date in mind. And eventually the tickets will go on sale. So go to hell. I love you. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com.